The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. The Spirit drove Jesus out into the desert, and he remained in the desert for 40 days, tempted by Satan. He was among wild beasts, and the angels ministered to him. After John had been arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. This is the time of fulfillment. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. As we all know, even a cursory reading of the Bible, there are certain numbers which seem to appear over and over again. They seem to have kind of a magical or mystical sort of significance in the, the uh, long history of Bible writing. You know, one of them is the number seven, the days of the week, how many days it took God to create the earth. Um, that comes up over and over again. Another one is the number 12. That's a big one. You've got the 12 tribes of Israel. You've got the 12 gates of the city of Jerusalem. And of course, uh, you've got the 12 apostles of Jesus. But the big daddy of all the big numbers that show up in the scriptures, of course, is the number 40. 40 is kind of the grandpa of all the, the mystical numbers in the scriptures. It first makes a splash in the story of Noah. Somebody got that joke. <laughs> and so, you know, this is that wonderful story that we learn from little kids and we have songs about it, Arky Arky and all that stuff. And, and we love that story because, you know, it's this story of Noah and the cute little animals and the boat and everything. But of course we know there's a lot more to this story than to just cute little animals going two by two up the plank into the boat and surviving and the little dove that comes back and all of that stuff. You know, the number 40 makes its appearance in this story because that's the number of days that the rains fall upon the face of the earth. God is really fed up. He's really up to here with the shenanigans of humanity ever since he gave them free will and gave them the ability to make decisions for themselves. You know, they've done nothing but seemingly do bad things over and over and over again to the point where all of humanity just seems to be lost in, the, in a mess of, of selfishness and evil and untruth and terrible treatment of one another and murder and mayhem, the whole shebang. And God finally says, I'm sorry I created this mess. I'm going to wipe it clean and we're going to start fresh. And so he sends for 40 days, rains and rains and rains, deluge of water upon the face of the earth. And he wipes out all of humanity and all of the animals and all of the stuff except for the few that were saved on the little ark of Noah. For 40 days, God lets this disaster of humanity go on. 
He takes his vengeance on humanity so that he can clean up the mess he started when he gave Adam and Eve the gift of freedom of will. It seems like those 40 days are the days it takes for God to figure out that he doesn't really like being a God of vengeance after all. That he doesn't like being a God of destruction. He doesn't like destroying humanity, destroying the earth that he so lovingly created in the first place. So God changes across those 40 days from being this terrible God, this frightening God, this vengeful God who will plaster humanity with rain until they're gone forever and start fresh with, with little Noah and his family, with just the two or four or six or eight of them. God seems to say, ah, this isn't who I am. This isn't the kind of God I want to be. I'm really sorry about what I've done. And therefore, where our story picks up this morning in the book of Genesis, God says, you know, I'm not going to do this again. I'm going to be instead a God of compassion, a God of care. I'm going to be a patient God with humanity. Even though you make all kinds of mistakes, I'm never going to destroy you again. I'm never going to destroy the face of the earth by water or any other means. It takes 40 days for God to sort of come to a deeper understanding of who he is and who he wants to be for us as human beings. Not a God of anger, a God of vengeance, a God of destruction, but rather a God who accompanies us, a God who loves us, a God who in the end is extraordinarily patient with us and all of our foibles and failures and faults along the way. And the next time we come up and find the number 40, it's not 40 days, but it's 40 years. It's the Hebrew people escaping from the clutches of that evil old Pharaoh. And it takes them 40 years to figure out, to get their head around, to figure out who they really are too. You know, we're out in this desert and we whine and we complain and we're unhappy and everything is wrong and I'm so sick of this manna. It just tastes like, I don't know, nothing. And it's over and over and over again. And I'm going to hedge my bets with this God thing. And I'm going to also worship and do sacrifices for my neighbors, gods and goddesses. Because you never know, they might have something over there too. And it takes them 40 years to clear that kind of whining and that kind of idolatry and that kind of infidelity and ingratitude to the God who saved them out of their system before they land in the land of flowing with milk and honey, before they can really be the people they want to be. It takes them 40 years to get their head around the fact that God has done this extraordinary deed of freeing them, liberating them, leading them to the land flowing with milk and honey, and for them to respond appropriately. Forty long years in the desert. And maybe the most important one is the one we find in today's gospel. The 40 days Jesus spends out in his desert. Jesus had just gone to the Jordan River, been baptized by John, 
And there he hears this great voice of from heaven, the voice of his father, saying to him clearly and without any hesitation who he is. You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Wow, that's great. With those words, Jesus knows he's, he's the new Messiah. He's the anointed one of God. He's the son of God. And therefore, he has the task of liberating Israel again. But it's not so easy to figure out just how he's going to do that. So he needs 40 days out in the desert to wrap his head around the fact that he is the Messiah of Israel, the long-awaited one who will save their people from themselves and from their neighbors and from their many oppressors. But what kind of Messiah is he going to be? That's the big question he's got to figure out. And over those 40 days and nights in the desert, he has to choose between the kind of Messiah that his people have been expecting and hoping for a millennia. A Messiah who is powerful, a Messiah who is strong, a Messiah who can raise up an army of vigilantes, of, of revolutionaries, of, of people who will stand up for their faith in the face of the oppression of the Romans, who will push those Romans out or whatever foreign power wants to oppress them. And he will remake the kingdom of David like it was in the good old days. He will be a strong Messiah, a powerful Messiah, a mighty Messiah. One who can lead his people to victory. Or, or is he going to be a different kind of Messiah than that? Is he going to be the Messiah who's humble, who's poor? A Messiah like God himself who has to be patient with the foibles and the failures and the faults of this human community that he's part of. Is he going to be a Messiah who doesn't exercise military power, political power, or the power of a magnetic personality to raise up an army, but simply the power of compassion the power of mercy, the power of forgiveness. That's the big decision Jesus has to make in that desert. What kind of Messiah am I going to be now that I know I'm the favored one, the anointed one of the Father? Am I going to be a powerful son of God who exercises power and authority? Or am I going to be this humble, patient, forgiving Messiah who has no power in the worldly sense. And so Jesus has to tangle with this. What's his big temptation out there? On the one side, he's got the wild beasts of all these expectations of who the Messiah is. Let's go. Let's dominate. Let's conquer. Let's be victorious. Or the voices of his better angels on the other side saying, that's not God's way. That's not the kind of savior, liberator, messiah that your people need. And it takes him 40 days and 40 nights in the desert to figure out just what kind of messiah he's going to be. And we see the results of that 
when he comes out of the desert and goes to Capernaum and the first thing he does after choosing his disciples is to take the hand of Peter's mother-in-law and give her back her health to open the eyes of a blind man to heal the broken bones of a cripple or paralytic eventually to go on to say to sinner after sinner after to sinner your sins are forgiven go and sin no more and maybe most important of all to live with us as we live to enjoy our celebrations the graces and blessings of life but also to endure the sufferings of the mad crowd who hate him simply because he is good and he is of God. It is the choice to suffer not only with us, but to suffer for us. The choice to not just to die, but to die with us. And in a way to be dead with us. And thus show us light and life. That's Jesus' 40 days. And so that leaves one more 40 in our little um, celebration of the number 40 today. And that's our 40 days. 40 days of this Lenten season. You know, it's very easy for us to sort of say, okay, during this Lent, during these 40 days, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. I'm going to add a few more prayers to my daily litany of prayers. I'm going to get to Mass a little more often. I'm going to try to give up uh, a little more food, the things I didn't succeed at in my January 1st New Year's sort of resolutions. I'll get back to those. Or I'm going to be a little more generous to the poor, my little rice bowl. And all of that's wonderful and fine. But for us too, Lent has to be a time where we try to get our head around the wonderful and extraordinary fact that God has given us this universe in which we live. God has given us this beautiful earth which feeds us and nourishes us, surprises us with beauty at every turn. God has given us these hearts which know how to love even though they often fail to do so. God has given us minds that allow us to be conscious and to exercise free will. God has given us one another. He's given us a faith. He's given us a community. He's given us family. All of this is a gift from God. How then do we respond? How do we get our heads around the fact that God has been so generous to us and so gracious to us? Do we respond like the Hebrews in the desert with whining, I don't have enough, I don't like this, I don't like that? Or do we respond with gratitude for what little we have or what greatness we have? Do we, in these days of Lent, simply say, well, I'm going to pray a little bit more. But there's not really much to that prayer beyond adding a few words. Or is this not a time for us to deepen our relationship with God? This God who comes to us, who lives with us, who heals us, who strengthens us, who forgives us, who dies with us who shows us the way of life. 
in Jesus, his word made flesh, his son. That's what Lent is. It's a time for us to slowly and patiently kind of struggle with ourselves to see what's windy and what's unfaithful in our lives. What are the little idols that we follow just to make sure we get everything that is our due. And to leave that behind and to choose instead the way of Jesus. That's precisely what Jesus means when he comes out of the desert and proclaims, repent and believe in the gospel. Leave behind that stuff and come follow me. Do it my way. Follow the way I'm showing you. And you will live. You will live forever. You will know the glory of God. You too will be his beloved sons and daughters. So that's our challenge for Lent. Our 40 days of getting our heads around who we are in the face of God's extraordinary goodness to us. May this Lent be for us one in which we use these 40 days well indeed.